You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Jason Nitz of Warforged and Spent Case. There's this episode and over 440 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. What is up, everybody? How are you doing this fine? Well, whenever you're listening to this, I hope you're doing great. I really appreciate you clicking that download button or stream or whatever the button looks like in here, podcast player, and spending some time with me. I really, really, really appreciate that. Today, I'm talking to my dude, Taylor Larson from Mixwave. Yeah. This is the first time I'm having anyone from a plugin company. I've been getting into plugins more heavily, and as you may have seen over the last, oh, what was it? Last Friday. Yes, last Friday as this episode airs, my good friend Chris Benson released an incredible plugin suite with Mixwave, and Taylor is here to talk all about it. And uh, it really is incredible. I've been playing it for several weeks now. I teased it on the Chasing Tone podcast a while back. And I am genuinely blown away by it, as you'll hear me gush frequently over this entire episode about how well that turned out. And uh, yeah, this is just a really cool episode to get to know Taylor better, get to know his backstory, how the company was formed and all that jazz. I think you're really going to enjoy it. He's a really, really cool guy, and he's done a lot of really, really cool things, and he's a genuine, legit gear nerd. So this is, this is just a perfect episode all around. One quick bit of housekeeping. It's more of a tease, to be honest. I know I tease a lot, but something very cool is coming just around the corner on the String Joy front. No, this is not something you're going to have to save up for. That's always the question I get. How much money do I have to save up for this new thing? This is a free thing that I cannot wait to reveal to you all. I don't think a lot of people are going to see this coming, but this is a, a new thing that is happening on that side of what I do. And I could not be more excited. Let's just say the guitar gear world is getting getting some more juicy stuff that they will not have to pay money for. Well, let's just put it that way and leave it at that. So to keep posted on all that, follow all things Stringjoy wherever you follow guitar content on the internet. And I'm sure you will be seeing exactly what I'm talking about very, very soon. And I want to thank everybody that supports that company because it really does support me directly. So if you need strings, go to Stringjoy. We make amazing stuff. Well, I don't. I'm, I'm here in Portland. The team in Nashville makes amazing stuff, and I couldn't be more stoked to be a part of all that. So please uh, pay attention to Stringjoy over the next few weeks, and we've got something really special for you. So anyway, with that teaser out of the way, 
Let's get into this episode with Taylor Larson from Mixwave. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Taylor Larson, producer, mixer, and co-founder of the company Mixwave. What's going on, dude? Not much. Excited to be here with you right now. I'm excited to have you here. We've we had the chance to you know get to know each other a little bit the other day. Uh, that's not always the case with guests, so that was really nice. But we didn't dive too much into your backstory. We mostly just talked about the cool new stuff you have coming out with our mutual friend Chris Benson and all that. But I want to know more about you. You don't just wake up one day and have a really awesome, you know, plug-in company. That's not usually <laughs> how that works. So what got you started? What got you uh, started playing music and producing records and all that jazz? I want it all. So for me, I, uh, it's funny. I, I, I was started on guitar when I was like maybe three or four. Um, mm -hmm. I don't even remember really learning it. Like, I guess I kind of learned it maybe before I could even talk, you know? And so, like, I grew up playing, like, Green Day, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, all the stuff that was cool back then. And uh, my goal in life was to just be, like, a famous guitar player in a band. That was, like, my dream. And so by the time high school came around, I was uh, skateboarding, at a pretty high level, you know, for, for my age and, um, playing guitar as well. And I, I kind of made a decision, you know, cause you fall, you can hurt your wrist and then that can affect the way that you could play guitar. And so, um, I made the choice to just go to playing guitar and doing it full time. So I did what anyone who wanted to be a guitar player in a band does and started a band in high school. Or actually, before I started a band, um, there was this band that won Battle of the Bands my freshman year, and they were like an 80s rock, 80s metal band, like Judas Priest style, Iron Maiden. And uh, they needed a guitar player. And I thought, you know, it's not the music that I love. I mean, I, I certainly liked it because my parents liked that kind of stuff or my dad, at least. Um, my mom was more like the cure and U2 and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I joined it cause they won battle of the bands and I thought it'd be cool. So I joined that band, played with them for a little bit. And then I wanted to do my own band and it was with all the older dudes that kind of influenced me um in the older grades and we started doing like screamo emo because that's what was in like when I was in high school like bands like thrice and hot water music and oh yeah yeah um poison the well Oh, like that, such a good band. The heavier stuff, like Converge and Botch and Majority Rule, Page Ninety Nine, all that kind of stuff. I loved all that stuff, and so like I made that. And it's funny, like I remember we did Battle of the Bands next year, 
and it was like heavy music like that. You know, the teachers were just like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> but like, we, we were good. Like our drummer was really good. And, you know, we, we had our stuff down. But um, so I did that for a bit. And then there was a, like a pop rock, pop punk kind of band from the area called Ever Since Radio. And they needed a guitar player. And that was really cool for me because... You know, I, I kind of got out of the screaming and, and the heavy stuff the more I matured. And so I joined that band, and that was awesome because I got to play with, like, the starting line and Motion City Soundtrack and all these cool, like, pop punk bands and play these cool festivals. So I did that for a little bit, and then I wanted to make something where I was kind of the leader of the band. So I started a band, and you can find them now. Uh, they're a band called Life on Repeat on Equal Vision. Um, they broke up, but they had kind of a strong run at it. So I started that band, and, um, you know, we kind of built from the ground up. And I was touring, and one day I was just like, man, I hate this. Like, I hate traveling. I hate being in a 15-passenger crammed with other people. Um, sometimes we'd have to sleep in it and like, you'd sleep in like the little kind of area where, where there's like those hooks that hold down the seats and it'll be in your rib cage <laughs> when you wake up. And like, I don't know, I just had a lot of anxiety as a teenager and, um, I was like, man, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really like this, but I love writing. I love performing. I love playing. And so, um, we we recorded a record with a dude named Paul Levitt in Baltimore, Maryland. And Paul did like All Time Low. He worked with Brian McTurnan, who did a lot of those bands that I mentioned earlier. And so like I got to the studio and I was just blown away. Like I, I saw the big Trident console and Ooh. the distressors, all the outboard gear and all the cool stuff that you see. And watched him mic up drums, watched him mic up guitars. And I was like, man, I'm in love with this. Like, this is way cooler than, you know, sitting in a van for eight hours and then like getting out and performing. So I, uh, I spoke to my Nana, my grandmother at the time, and, um, she kind of recommended that I, I try doing that instead of going to college because she was like, if, if you have good ears and you can get good at that, then um, you'll always do better doing something you're good at. And that's music, you know? So I sold my orange amp. I sold like everything but my guitar and I bought a MacBook. Like this was in 2006 maybe. And it was like... Okay. The Apple store was as big as maybe a Starbucks. Like it was pretty small. And uh, it was right when they switched to Intel processors. And I got a MacBook. I quit my band. And, you know, they were really pissed off and, and bummed out. And I just started recording. Um, I was living in Ocean City, Maryland at the time, which is kind of like a beach town area. And the cool thing is, they had a pretty intense scene over there. Like you could go to a church hall and watch like 
Boy Sets Fire or The Sleeping, which is a Victory Records band or, you know, any of those bands like coming up, it was really cool because a lot of the tours would go through there. I mean, they even had X Games there at one point and I think Green Day played it. But it's, you know, it's a surf skateboarding kind of area. And uh, I used to play those shows opening for those bands as a kid. And there was a pretty decent music scene. Like, it's it's so weird because they tore it down and, like, no one does that there anymore. But, like, there were shows every weekend and, like, all kinds of different bands, like ska bands, punk bands, like, you name it, you know, we had it. And so I started recording for like $50 a song on my MacBook. And I got like a line six tone port and a 57 and knew absolutely nothing. But I knew I could <laughs> I could write with these bands and make really good songs and, and kind of either record them well or play it myself and make them sound like they were really good. So um, I worked really hard for a summer and saved up a lot of the money and kind of showed it to my grandmother at the time to show her I was serious. And um, long story short, I, I kind of decided that, like, I wanted to move to, you know, a, a more, uh, I guess you would say, like, exciting city area. So I mm -hmm. moved down here to uh, Bethesda, Maryland, which is, you know, two minutes away from Washington, D.C. Like, I can leave my house, turn right and walk for a couple minutes and I'm in DC. Um, but what's cool about this area, so Brian McTernan's from this area. Um, he's a really influential producer. I mean, he even did things kind of more recent, like like Balance and Composure. Not too recent, but I love that record and, you know, Circa Survive. And, and he's done a lot of cool stuff. And so... Definitely, yeah. He was from here, and there was this this house in Beltsville that he uh, he did like Darkest Hour and um, again like Hot Water Music thrice, uh, a bunch of like really cool punk bands, probably even Converge in that that spot. And then another dude, Matt Squire, took it over, and he did bands there like the Receiving End of Sirens. Uh, he did Panic at the Disco, like their big record. Um, Paul worked on All Time Low there. Like, it, this house, it looked like there was just, like, a garage, and you would walk in, and it was a studio. But anyways, I, I moved to this area, like, just kind of packed up all my stuff and moved just because I wanted to, like, see how far I could take this. And at first, I was renting space from Paul Levitt, and I would have to drive to Baltimore, and I hated that. And so... I uh, I went on Google and looked for recording studios. And ironic enough, the building I'm in right now, the studio I'm in right now, was owned by a different place. And this was, I don't know, over 10 years ago. And I walked in and said, can I rent a room from you guys? And they said, yeah, sure. They had a room that I could rent for like $1,000 a month. And... It's crazy because I don't know if you've heard of Bethesda Software, like the video game company. But, I have. Yeah, so like they did like Fallout here. They did Skyrim, like all those old video games. They recorded all the uh, voiceovers in the studio that I'm in right now. 
And, wow. And so like, yeah. And, and like they would do like uh, Discovery Channel stuff here, like voiceovers for Shark Week and even like cartoons and stuff. So it was pretty cool and it was a pretty insane studio and it happened to be like two blocks from my house where I was living. And so I got so lucky. I, I got to move my gear in and and then I started recording there and it was it was like, you know, I, I have to do this. I have rent to pay and I have to uh, do this full time. And I, I couldn't get enough of it. You know, I, I was booked. I would even do like two bands in a day at some point. Um, for people aspiring to do that, I wouldn't recommend it because if I could go back in time and, and kind of have a talk with myself, it would be that you're going to burn yourself out and then you're not going to have that same kind of hunger and drive later on. So it's really important to pace yourself and kind of take things slow. But um, yeah, I mean, my career just kind of started from that point. Um, I met the guys in Periphery. They they were local to here, which is, you know, a gent band. And um, met um, the guys from Darkest Hour from this area, did a record for them. A band called Sky Eats Airplane, who was pretty big at the time. Um, and... I just kind of got lucky because I didn't really know what I was doing at that point. And I was kind of like learning it along the way, but I just had like this self-belief and confidence that like I can do this um, and just kind of evolved over time. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I got to producing and, you know, you, you make money and you spend it all on gear or almost, you know, <laughs> all of it on gear and, and kind of build up your arsenal over the years and uh, what's crazy is I was in that studio maybe two years and the people that were renting it that I was subletting from decided they they either, I think they either retired or they wanted to like move to a smaller place because this facility is pretty intense. And uh, so I had to leave, like I was renting from them, they were leaving. And I remember asking like the, the uh, company that was renting it, like, will you continue to rent me this room. And they kind of just laughed at me. They were like, yeah, if you want to rent the whole thing, you know, it's $7,000 a month plus whatever else. And I was just like, yeah, I can not do that. So, right. <laughs> um, so I moved to this other spot that was like a mile away. That was like, kind of like a rap studio. It was kind of not as nice as what I had. And I remember being so bummed, but I went into that space and I put in like seven years there and had a lot of success. The The drum room was really cool. And then uh, I wanted to leave that space because there was a new landlord and they wanted to double my rent. And I just thought it was hilarious for the space that it was. And so I moved to my house. Like we have this really big sunroom and I had a friend, this guy who had a studio like 20 minutes away he recorded bands like Avail and Clutch, and uh, he had a really cool drum room. So I was like, I can just rent his room and then work out of my house doing the mixing, guitar tracking, and vocal tracking. And then my partner and, and kind of mentor, uh, Jeff Cohen, he owns a lot of different companies. He owns like Killer Merch and Sumerian Records, which is a pretty dominant metal record label. Um, oh, yeah. I, I went to him about this software because 
I'd been making software with other companies, like in other artists, and it did really well, but I didn't like that I couldn't uh, control the visual of it and control the the promotion because I I always feel like sometimes if if you get too aggressive with promoting something or or like you do things that are kind of cringe or that look bad, I don't really want my name associated with that. Not I'm not trying to dog anyone, but it's like I always feel like the product should speak for itself, and you know you can promote stuff or or pay for marketing, but it can't feel like one of those weight loss scams or something like that. Right. So right. Um, I had drawn up all these designs for plugins and I was about to do them with different companies. And I went to Jeff and I was like, can we make a plugin company? Like <laughs> I have all these cool designs and, and all this stuff. And so it just kind of snowballed from there. Like Jeff was like, uh, like, for example, this studio, no one came here for 10 years. Like people had looked at it, but I guess no one could afford it. And so nobody moved in. So Jeff was like, well, we need like a headquarters. Like, let's let's go look at your old spot. So we came in here and we were lucky enough to get it. And so this is kind of the Mixwave headquarters now, which is ironically the first place that I ever worked out of like professionally. So that's kind of cool. And uh yeah, I mean, Jeff and I just started from there. Um, he's a lawyer, and he was Van Halen's lawyer, Devin Townsend. Uh, he d- he did Lamb of God. He did, like, MTV, Pimp My Ride. Like, um, <laughs> he, he's a very successful lawyer. That's, that's kind of how he started out, and uh, he's really good at what he does. So it was really cool to start the company because it's like I could – focus on the products and then, you know, he could draw up the agreements between the artists and, you know, he's a guy that just loves music. Like he, he loves like the indie rock XM alt rock. And, you know, a lot, most of our time we spent is he would come to my old studio and we would just listen to music for hours, like with, you know, all my friends and and kind of our group that I had there. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I got here today. So how does uh, your story really resonates with me because I think we we share a lot of well we already talked about this off the air but we're lith- the same age literally yeah uh, <laughs> and a lot of like every band you were talking about there I was like oh man love that band I love that band oh I love that band uh, like <laughs> so many so many memories came rushing back but also I really relate to you in the with the touring thing. And I've said this on the podcast many, many times. You know, I just assumed growing up, like I loved playing with my band. I loved making music. I loved recording. But I knew, like, I hate road trips. Yeah. Like regular road trips. So a touring road trip, which is even less comfortable. No, no, I'm just <laughs> not. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Like I, <laughs> I knew I didn't have it in me to do that. And I kind of falsely assumed like I think a lot of people do, that that's the only, if you like music, that's the only way you're going to have a career in it. Yeah. Is if you're in a touring band or yeah. a touring, you know, musical act of some sort. And that's just so not true. It's weird how narrow our viewpoint was back then, right? Yeah. There's guitar techs. There's, you know, 
There's um, any number of things. There's amp builders. There's pedal makers. There's producers. There's merch guys. There's, you know, front of house people. There's so many different ways you can have a job and stay connected to music if that's what you really love. And I love that you like tried it, was like, nope, not for me. I'm going to try this other thing. Yeah. And it worked out. And that was kind of, you know, my path was a little bit different because I just went, well, I'm never going to be a musician. So I guess I'll be a mechanic, (laughs) which uh, I mean, I don't know what kind of logic is there, but I I did like turning wrenches. And so I guess that I ended up not liking it once (laughs) once I was doing it every day. (laughs) But, you know, and then I realized, oh, I got to get back into music somehow. And that's where this podcast came from. So it's a it, your story really resonates with me and I'm glad you were able to find a way that did work for you cuz a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. I think like in arts you you kind of like you can have what you love and you can have what your dream is but you have to be able to pivot and kind of take whatever lane presents itself and to me that's not like it's not really a compromise it's just kind of like going with a flow, you know? So it's like, for me, when I get an opportunity, I'm going to make the best out of that opportunity that I possibly can. And like, for me, it was just a a huge win because it's like, dude, I love writing. Now I can write every month with a different band, like a whole album. And so it was awesome. Like, I don't know. I think I even preferred it over like performing in, in that stuff. I mean, that stuff's cool. And what I will say is like, so um, I did a record for a band called From First to Last. And if, you know, if you're not familiar, it was the band that Skrillex was in. It was like his mm-hmm. first band. And it's kind of the emo stuff growing up. And I did a record for them. I think it was maybe 2014, 2015. And the guitar player, Matt Good, became my best friend, like, like, dude, he he was from Arizona and he would come down and kind of live with me for months on end and then go back. And <clears throat> like I would show him recording stuff and, you know, we would just hang out. And so we did that record and he was like, dude, like, I want you to be in the band with me, like play guitar. And I was like, all right, like, cool. That's that's a kind of a cool thing from my past. And I got to do tours where you would tour in a bus and it was comfy and you had your own bunk and like (laughs) that's a completely different world and and what was so odd is like when I would go on tour as like a kid like I didn't have money growing up like uh, so I would show up on the tour and like the guy you know in the band that that kind of ran it we'd go in like a Wawa and he'd be like, Hey, why aren't you getting food? And I would just be like, Oh, I don't have any money. He's like, you didn't bring money for the tour. And I was like, no. (laughs) And you'd be like, all right, well, (laughs) I'll, uh, you know, I'll get your food for the tour. Like, that's fine. Like you're writing our music and blah, blah, blah. So like, I'll help out. But in this case, it was like, you know, we had great per diems. Like I had a lot of money from recording. And so like, it was just so different. It was like, a comfortable tour and that was a lot of fun and it was kind of cool to come back around to it later on in life and kind of just get to do it for fun and and you know there was no struggle it was easy to sleep and it was awesome I was with my best friend that's that's the dream right there that's what everybody 
wants to aspire to. And it's kind of funny that you you got to that level through sort of unorthodox means. Yeah. You know, like you did you did the touring thing. You said, that's not for me. Started down a different path. And then that led you to getting the chance to do a comfortable tour, which is yeah. it's kind of a weird thing to think about, right? Yeah. It's you never know where this where this is going to lead you. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because like you could, you know, you could be recording a band that does really well. And like for me, I'm very hands-on. Like I like to write and I like to like track guitar on other people's records. Um and so like you know, sometimes these bands will hit you up and be like, hey, like this guy can't make this tour or we, you know, we kicked this guy out of the band. Would you do this tour with us? And nine out of 10 times I'd say no, but that one was just awesome. Like that was just like, it was a big tour. Um, and, you know, we were treated extremely well. And yeah, I just wanted to know what it's like to tour in a bus and and have all the, you know, all that cool stuff. So it was awesome. <laughs> I understand why people like to do it. <laughs> so let's let's circle back to Mixwave as a company. Sure. Right? So, I mean, we can talk about this all now because it, this will be coming out after the official release, but mm-hmm. my introduction to you was through Chris Benson. And so, you know, as you're aware and the listeners are massively aware, I'm a huge Benson fanboy. Chris and I are very good friends. And we're always talking and doing stuff and he told me about the the plugins pretty early and admittedly like i was a little skeptical Mm -hmm. to say the least i was just like but chris you make two amps like why 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 what do you why are you doing this to me why would you do this to me (laughs) uh and uh and it was not until i he was like all right i have the plugins ready come over and and play them you know and i he's got a decent little studio set up there and i plugged in and and was playing through the monitors and i'm very very aware of his products i own a lot of them both the pedals and amps and i was just astounded at the sound and more importantly the feeling that was coming out of the speakers i was like this (laughs) this is doing the thing that your amps do. This is doing the thing that your pedals do. It's responding appropriately. I've never experienced a plugin. I'm granted. I've, I've had fairly limited experience with plugins. There's some, I really like as far as a guitar based stuff goes anyway. Yeah. And I was just absolutely blown away by how accurate everything was. And I'm not saying that just because you're here. (laughs) I mean, Chris and I were literally laughing. I was like, dude, this is ridiculous. This is so, so insane. I was like, people are going to freak out about this once they actually get to play it and play it through monitors. It's, it's insane. Like what, what does it take to make something feel like the real deal the way these do? Okay. So the story with Benson is that we, we kind of came up with something with uh guitar amp modeling and there's a lot of secretive stuff with this, so you know I'm not going to put too much on here. But we came up with things where we were just like, man, this like sounds so much better than you know your Kemper, your Ask Axe Effects, or even some of the other companies because I've always tried to make uh, amp sims work, you know, for the last 
five, six, seven years. I would say ever since SoftTube came out with like the Amp Room bundle, I was a big fan of it because for recording, it's amazing because you can like take your your DI in, you can edit your DI and use that plugin kind of as the amp. And then you could either reamp later or you could have something that you can always tweak forever. So like, um, I'm like you in the sense of like, I love analog gear and I love tube gear and, uh, you know, digital can't be good enough, but I'm also very realistic and I also don't want to lie. So like as soon as the plugins start getting good or, or good enough to where I can, you know, manipulate them into something that I want, I'm doing it. Cause it's, it's mm-hmm. for me, it's workflow and it's, it's at the end of the day, if I do mixes and people are loving them, then, you know, I don't think it matters what I used. Um, but anyways, like I, I'd had a lot of bands sent me, uh, Kemper and Axe Effects and, and like, man, I'd have to go in and like go on fab filter or use soothe and find all these notches and the, the treble. And it was just like super harsh and, a lot of the newer kind of more relevant amp sim companies would send me, you know, NFRs to, to try stuff out. And like some of them, they'd be cool on clean tone and be a little ice picky. And then you go to like distorted stuff and you're just like, man, this is a mess. So um, <laughs> for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar, what's an NFR? NFR, not for resale. It's it's essentially just like somebody giving you their plugin for free to test it out. Um, gotcha. And you can use it forever. You just can't sell it to someone else. So, totally. um, but yeah, so we came up with this thing and like, first we, we tried on some other amps. I was making a record with this dude, Jason Richardson, who's like a metal shredder guy. He's like one of my favorite people. Like he's awesome. Um, the music is kind of intense for me. I, I will admit it's, it's, I find it challenging, but I also love the, the talent aspect of it. And the dude's like Hans Zimmer, like he's, he programs like crazy orchestras and I don't know, it's just really cool. Like, even if you're not into it, like you have to respect it when you hear it. But anyways, he, he booked a record with me and he was like, I want to do everything analog. I want to do everything real. I'm bringing like my Bricasti reverb and, and you know, my pedals and my synths and blah, blah, blah. And that was when we first started trying to make an amp. So we had two amps that we were going to use on the record and we got the, the betas back to test out and we were like shooting them out. And most people in the room, they couldn't tell when I would switch back and forth. And then if, if they did pick one, they always picked the software one. So I was like, man, we really have something here. Like this is pretty incredible what our team has, has been able to uh, come up with. And so one night I'm on Instagram, I see like a Benson story and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call him. Like I'm, I'm going to talk to him about this. So I texted him and was like, Hey, like you got a second for a call and I'll never forget it. Like it was summer, it was super humid outside and and I was out on my phone just pacing up and down the street that I live on talking to him for probably an hour. And I was just telling him like, dude, we have this thing and like, it's incredible. And I feel like he was really skeptic. Like he was just like, look, man, like I've messed around with the Kemper profiles before and like, you know, it's not really it. 
and I'm like, no, I know, like, but trust me on this one. And so like, I finally kind of convinced him to let us like, you know, take a crack at it. And um, I was like, all right, so I have to crush this if, if, you know, he's going to do this because we put a lot of time and money into it. And, and our goal is ultimately to be able to release it. But also, you know, in our contract, it says if he doesn't like it, it doesn't get released. So it's kind of the ultimate, like at the end, he could be like, nah, doesn't sound good, which, you know, I, I wouldn't want to release anything that doesn't sound good anyway. But um, so I got the beta back for that and went back and forth between my chimera head and that one and just kind of went through a couple revisions and, you know, I'd play on them. I'm like, all right, the feel is there. The cool thing is the feel was always there from the beginning. It was mainly just kind of getting the, like the brightness and EQ curve and, and nature of the breakup. And so I went back and forth with my team and, and I would send them, okay, here's an example and here's ours. And, you know, it needs to be more like this. And then I finally got it to a point where, like, I, I sat here for an hour just going back and forth A and B on like a clip that I had a DI just looping through both of them. And I was like, man, there's no way he's going to tell the difference on this. Like uh, if I close my eyes, I, I definitely don't hear the difference. And I just obsessed over it. And I was super nervous. Like I was so nervous to send it to him. I was like, oh, like what if, like what if he has like, you know, <laughs> insane like, dog hearing or something <laughs> he can hear something that I can't which I I mean I've been training my ears for over 10 years and you know I I I feel like I have a really good grasp on what I'm hearing and so I sent it to him and I was like A or B and he was like B I think it was B is what he picked he was like B has to be the amp like there's no way it's not and I'm like B is the software and from that point, he was kind of all in. Like, he was like, all right, like, wow. And I think the cool thing with him is he, he's he got such good ears and he's such a smart dude that, like, th he sets the pride aside as well because it's like he made these designs and, and he's all about the tube world and, and, you know, his stuff is, like, point-to-point, hand-wired, and, like, this should not be. Like, it, it shouldn't be that you know, we made a plugin and it's digital and it sounds and feels like the real thing. But like, I think the fact that he's willing to admit that and, and embrace it is why he's kind of an innovator in my eyes. And I think he's going to break down a lot of walls for a lot of other companies because he's kind of, I would say one of the first, I mean, you have some other companies that have done stuff, but I, I don't think they've done it in the way he has. And so um, we got the amp kind of nailed down and we went crazy with the cabinet. Like I already had his 212 here and it had the uh, Celestian speakers in it. And he said, well, I have these other speakers, um, these Weber speakers that I've been using. So he sent me those, a pair of those. And we took those and we blasted sign sweeps and pink noise and all this sound through them for like, you know, 
couple weeks just to like break the speakers in because they were brand new. And then we took impulse responses of the top and bottom speaker with 20 different microphones with like a million different combinations. Like we're literally, dude, it took so long. It's like, we're, we're literally moving them all around the room. And, uh, we did both the Celestian speakers, top and bottom, which is cool because it definitely sounds different. I mean, it's as you would expect, the bottom has a little bit more robust top end, or I'm sorry, low end. And then the top has kind of that air thing. And so like, there's so many combinations you can do in the software with with being able to blend the top and bottom speaker and then like switch between the Weber or the Celestian. Like there's there's a million combinations. And one other really cool thing that we do is we have these things called tube traps and we built, it's called an attack wall. And so it's like a little circle around the room. So it removes the room from the equation, which is, something I love. Like, I mean, there's people that have room and they let you blend the room in, but I'm like, no, I I really want to hear the cabinet in the mic. And if there's room that I want to add, I'll do it with a reverb or something else. So, Mm -hmm. um, because a room can, it can inflict harsh stuff. It can inflict rumble. Like it, it doesn't matter what it is. Like every room there's different spaces that have different things that are, you know, less than optimal. So having this kind of attack wall method, it really lets you get the cleanest sound of the microphone and the, uh, the speaker cabinet. So yeah, we, we just packed this thing full of features and and we put things in there that you couldn't do in real life. Like there's wet, dry mix knobs and you can move things to stereo. You can change the order of things and you can, essentially have four different speakers with 20 different mics that you can pick through. So yeah, we went crazy. Yeah. You can run a chimera into a chimera if you want to, which (laughs) is not something you can actually do in real life. So yeah, fun stuff. It's funny that you mentioned you that about the room. I just had a really dumb, dumb, dumb moment with Chris that is directly related to room because I don't know if you saw, he did the rock box for Big KO. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, KO was on the podcast and he asked me, he knew that Chris and I were friends. He's like, hey, do you want to do a video of that before I get it? I was like, uh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> and so I I did. I, I played it at Chris's shop. It's like, cool, this thing sounds great. This is going to be easy. I brought it to the shred shed. And this is something that I I knew but it t- I just totally brain farted and didn't didn't think about it. But I set the amp up, got it mic'd up how I normally would, something like that. And I was just standing there playing it. And I was like, I messaged Chris. I'm like, I think something's wrong with this amp. I don't know if like a tube went kind of funny in transport I, or, or what. But it sounds weird now. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it's really late at night. Let me come back with fresh ears in the morning. Maybe I'm just losing my mind. And I plugged it in and was like, yeah, it's okay. And then I had to go do something else. I finally went to go do the demo, got everything all set up again. And I was playing it. I'm like, no, it's got that weird sound again. What is going on? So I messaged Chris. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Something is going on with this. I don't know if, I don't know what it is, but if you want to come listen to it or whatever. And he comes, he comes over, he's looking around and he looks at the amp and he's like 
and we play it for a minute. And then he was like, dude, I was like, what? He's like, look where the amp is. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I cannot believe I did this. <laughs> so the shred shed is is kind of a hall shaped room. Mm-hmm. And the peak goes up pretty high. It goes up to about 14.6. And it's, you know, right in the center of the room. I had the amp set dead center of the room so it was equidistant with the walls and right in the middle of the peak. It was going so out of phase. It was getting all kinds of weird cancellations. Yeah. Even like, even when you're standing in front of it, it wasn't just the mic sound. It sounded weird <clears throat> if you stood in front of it and played. It didn't sound right because the sound waves were bouncing off equidistant and canceling each other out and just sounding stupid. He took and cocked it and moved it like two and a half feet and like cocked it at an angle. All of a sudden it's back. <laughs> like I was like, I was like, I cannot believe I did that. A and also I can't believe how big of a difference that made. Like <laughs> all he did was move it two and a half feet. We recorded like a quick clip. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can do the video now. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> like, it sounded really bad. He's like, dude, you freaked me out. He's like, I thought something, I thought I was losing my mind and something happened. I was like, I thought I was losing my mind. So yeah, <laughs> pay attention to where your amp is in the room. Yeah, because it makes a huge you have to difference. Think, like, like if so, if a company does IRs, right? And like, you know, people want the ability to drag the mic back, you know, three to five feet somewhere in there, maybe even more. And like, say you get the mic in like a null or something, like it's just like, why would you want that? So right. for us, we build <laughs> this kind of like, you know, attack wall around it and it prevents all of that and it makes it insanely flat and it's for me you get the charm of the speaker and you get the charm of the mic and there's nothing to mask that and to me that's that's huge um i wish every company would do that but yeah that's uh a- another thing that i was going to mention is like he sent those webers and like those in the software are the best impulse responses i've ever heard in my life like i would feed other amps into that I don't know why it's, it's an open back cab. So like it shouldn't be that you can like put metal or like other things through it, but you can. And it's like so lush and, and like just sounds so amazing and has that kind of squishy feel and it's not stiff and lifeless. And yeah, I, I just think it's so ironic that like whatever he's got going in in his world translates so well to digital, you know? I I don't know. I've always, this is just like the Benson. Th- this show has had many episodes where Chris was not on it and it's just the Benson gush fest. <laughs> um, I just love everything he does. And honestly, when I'm recording stuff, I f- sometimes feel like it's cheating because I don't have to do that much to, like once I record the guitar amp sound, I don't, I don't really have to do a lot in post to make it sound good. Yeah. Especially not for something that's like a demo where you don't have a bunch of other instruments competing for space. Yeah. I just, I just, you know, I'll be playing a pedal or whatever and I just mic, mic the amps up how I usually do and it works like every single time, at least for my ears. So, yeah. You know, it's, he's, he's, he's a smart fella. He's, he, every time I've doubted him, he's proved me wrong. So I just stopped doubting him. <laughs> um, so, yeah. You guys crushed it with this this plugin. I'm so excited to play around with it some more. 
I already have a bunch of ideas of things I want to try that, like you said, you can't, you literally cannot do in the physical world, which is always fun. I mean, it's fun to push the envelope and see where you can take things. It's, it's really wild. I'll tell you one thing that's really cool. Do you ever track bass? Oh yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. Okay. So one thing I did the other day, and this was, I kind of just stumbled on this, this setup is, uh, I, uh, I part my bass into two different tracks, sometimes three. Um, that's cause I want to have one that kind of is clean and has that low fundamental that carries the song. And then I, I want to have one that I can kind of get disgusting on and, and, you know, get that more grindy clanky bass tone that that's that attitude that brings it forward. And I took the track that I, I distort and mess with and I put, Instead of what I normally put, I, I deleted that and put the uh, standalone Benson preamp pedal. And already it was it was great. Like, it sounded awesome. But what I did is I rolled some of the lows on the input filter. So it was kind of changing the nature of the distortion. So instead of, you know, lows kind of maxing it out and making it fuzzier, it kind of cut more. And so I, I think I did the filter to somewhere like 120 hertz, maybe so, somewhere between like 90 and 150. And it completely changed the nature of the distortion. And it got so cool. Like it, it almost sounded exactly like an amp. And then I went on the out filter and I rolled off some of the top end. I think it was down to like 7K or 6K. And what that did is like that kind of simulated a cabinet or something and it has to be one of the sickest bass tones I've ever gotten. Like, and I, I don't even think the pedal was intended for that. But just the fact that we have those filters and in, in the in and out gain, you can completely change the nature of something. Like we were doing that yesterday. My buddy brought like his mini Moog over and I was doing the same thing, but like rolling the low end all the way to 1K and it literally made a synth sound like brass or like like a flute or something like it completely changes the nature of of what you're feeding the pedal so it's really cool what you can do with with these plugins that's i'm so excited to play around with them i'm you just cost me like probably like 2 weeks of, <laughs> of screwing around with stuff honestly but yeah, I, I talked about it. I couldn't really say what it was, but it was a few weeks ago. I also do the Chasing Tone podcast with with Wampler. Mm -hmm. And I we were talking about, well, what's new in your world? And I had literally just came from Chris's house after playing it. And uh, I was like, I just played one of the most incredible plugins I've ever heard. And I can't say anything else about it. <laughs> and I will tell you in a few weeks when it's public. <laughs> so, and so I'm sure everybody was just mad at me. I probably shouldn't have said anything, but I, I literally just came from Chris's house. So I was like, I have to talk. I have to say something. Yeah. I have to say something about it. I mean, but, imagine yeah, having it for, I don't know, maybe it's been like somewhere between four or six months that we've been working on this. It's like, I wanted to put it out the day like the first beta worked and it looked like Microsoft Paint. Like I was just like, <laughs> man, people need this. And like I, I started using it on on the stuff I was doing. So it's pretty tough to keep that in when you're so excited about stuff. And I know Chris is insanely excited as well. Like me and him talk on the phone a lot and we would both just kind of stop and laugh. It's like 
we did it, man. Like, I can't believe this. <laughs> yeah. So it's really exciting stuff. But um, what this is probably the worst time to try to dive into this because we're getting close to the end of the podcast. But sure. outside of all the Benson stuff, Mixwave has a lot of other things. What did you guys actually start with? So it's crazy because our intention never was to do drums. Um, I'm kind of known for my drum sounds. So, you know, people are stoked when, when they can have that. But like the first thing I drew up was this bus processing concept where it was like, if you put these plugins on these buses, like there's a guitar bus, a bass bus, an effects bus, a synth bus and a master bus. Um, it, your song would sound professional. So I, I came up with all these different things, like a compressor that fed into a harmonic thing that had a widener, and I sketched it all out. And that's what I took to Jeff initially to start the company, and that was kind of like, this is what I want to make. And so we started the company, and my assistant, Ernie, uh, we were making a record, and he was like, check this out. Like, I... I took all the drums from the record, like all the samples of the drums, like the cymbals, everything. And I took your mix too and built it into this player. And so he took a song that I had mixed that had already been released. And he was showing me toggling between what he did versus what the drummer played. And I was like, damn, like that's insane. Like I've never... I've never liked drum samplers. Like I've, I've never used them on records and I've never been a fan of how they sound, especially like the cymbals. And this dude figured it out. And I was like, well, that's mixed. So, you know, you're kind of tied to that sound. And he's like, check this out. You push a button and all of a sudden it's just the raw samples. So it's like you literally just mic'd a kit and recorded it in with no mixing. So I was like, that's pretty incredible. Um, so when we made... The company, it was like, what can we start with now to kind of get our feet off the ground? Because it's tough making a software company. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts involved, a lot of different DSP engineers and different people that you have to work with. I mean, we have a pretty insane team for just starting out. So um, it was like, what can we do now that sounds great, that can kind of like build the reputation of the company. And so I brought in one of my good friends, Luke Holland. He's a uh, kind of like a famous YouTube drummer. If anyone wants to check him out, he's insanely talented. And I told him about the company. I asked him if he wanted to be a part of it and kind of work in the A&R world of it. And so the first thing we did is we made a drum virtual instrument with a drummer named Thomas Pridgen who played with bands like Trash Talk and the Mars Volta. Um, trying to think of who else. He, I think he played with Suicidal Tendencies. And he was just like me and, and a lot of my friends' favorite drummer. Like he's so good, man. It's insane. And it was even more insane watching him in person. But I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, you want to make this virtual instrument? It was like during COVID. It was like no one, no one's playing shows right now. Like you want to fly out here and like we're gonna make your kit in the virtual world and allow your fans to essentially use you as their session drummer. And he was like, "Let's do it." 
like no questions asked. He was just saying nice. yes. And he just flew out and we did it. And it's funny. Like, I don't even think he really knew what we were doing until like the second time we flew him out for content and we put him on the e-kit and let him play it. And he just freaked out. He was like, dude, that sounds like me. That's me. Like, how did you guys do that? Like my ride symbol, like all the articulations are there when I move up and down the ride, like just like flipping out about it. And so like we started with the drum stuff and right now we have, uh, we have Thomas Pridgen out. We have Tony Royster Jr. Who's like, again, one of those iconic legendary drummers. Like I remember watching videos of him when he was like 12 on like modern drummer festival, just doing the most insane solo you've ever seen. And, you know, he played with Jay-Z, he's on tour with Katy Perry right now. He's literally like the pinnacle of, of being a drummer. And so, um, we did one with him. We did one with Mario Duplantier from Gojira, which it's like, nice. That's so sick too. I mean, Gojira is such a cool band and I, uh, I used to love their mixes growing up and especially for metal, like having those as a reference. And so we did his and people really freaked out about that. And then lastly, we did Lou Collins, which is one of our owners. And, you know, it's, it's really cool. That's, that's where we started, but now we're branching out into the mixing tools and in the guitar amps and we're going to do all kinds of stuff. We're going to do it all reverb, mixing, synth, everything, you name it, we're going to do it. I love it. I love it. Keep me in the loop, man. I, I'm I'm becoming a very nerdy about all this stuff, <laughs> which I never thought I would be, but it's it's legit and it's really good. So keep killing it because it's it's really just it's really amazing what what is possible now. And yeah. to get these tools to creators who otherwise wouldn't have access to things like this, that's what's so cool about all this. Now, like with the with the tools that are available now, you know, if you if you have the drive, you can make some really incredible music just right in your house. Yeah, you know? and that that was the goal for us. Like for me, for my company, the motto is literally what Steve Jobs said at Apple like in 98. It was you start at the customer and their experience, and you engineer backwards to the technology. And that's essentially what we do. It's like giving somebody mixed drums that will work in a mix. Like, you know, when when we did Thomas, like I'm sitting here and I'm putting his software against all these different types of music. Like I'll put it in metal, I'll put it in pop, I'll put it in synthwave, I'll do all this stuff and making little tweaks so that it breathes and it works in all those different genres. I mean, it's very challenging, but it's also like, I know no one else has done that. I mean, you have like slate drums and superior and stuff. And those were all really cool because it was like, Hey, this is a really well recorded kit done in a professional studio with top tier gear. But to me, that's like the first step. It's like, you know, somebody could get that, but they might not know how to mix that or make that work. So my goal was always like, you know, to have somebody, you, you could have a talented kid in his bedroom that can write a hit song or write something incredible. And he might know nothing about mixing, but it's like, if you use these and you can literally pick the drummer you want to work with 
and pick the snare and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, if you use these with this, that's the whole point of it is I'm trying to take my job. I'm essentially trying to make myself obsolete as a mixer and producer. Like you don't need to work with me anymore here. Here's the sound. Have it, have it in your bedroom. And that's why with Benson, you know, you're doing presets and everybody else is. It's because we want to give somebody a quick solution so that they don't have to think about this stuff and they can be more about the music, you know? Yeah, I am so excited to dive into that. I have some really wacky ideas that I have done versions of myself here in the Shred Shed uh, that aren't. Again, that's not something that people can do on their own typically. So it'll be really fun to see if I can recreate that. And I'm pretty sure I can to some degree with this plugin. Oh, yeah. Uh, and get people to, you know, be able to have that same fun experience that I get to have, which is really, really cool. Yeah. But, uh, dude, this has been a really excellent talk. And I'm really happy that you came on and, and talked about all this stuff. I do have a couple classic questions, though, sure. that I have to get to before we wrap up the main episode. Okay. But before I do, um, I like to give the guests the opportunity to shout out anybody they want to shout out, say hi to their grandma, uh, <laughs> you know, anything you want to say to a, a couple thousand people. Now's the time to do it. Um, I don't really have anyone to shout out. More so just I'm so excited for any of you that want to try this stuff. Um we include a trial with it. So if, if you don't want to take my word or your word for this, um, you know, you can download a trial and, and live with the software, but I'm just so excited to see how people react when they try this thing. Um, that's pretty much it. Like, I hope you can enjoy it the way that we do. I know you will. And I'm excited to see what the future holds. Absolutely. Sounds good, man. All right, first of the classic questions. Here we go. What is your favorite boss pedal? Boss pedal, wow. I had this weird thing growing up where when when I was a teenager and you would sit on, you know, AOL Instant Messenger and go on Google and even the early YouTube, I was like, boss aren't true bypass, so they suck. <laughs> so I like, <laughs> I always kind of stayed away from them. But I remember when I was a kid and I had a, a pedal board um, I think there was only two boss pedals I had. It was, no, maybe it was three. I had like the digital delay, like the blue and, and white one. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was the DD3, which is awesome, by the way. Like I, I, I remember I had that in the DL4 and I was always like, this boss one sounds better, but the DL4 is like so much more flexible. And like, I would always record loops and do crazy stuff with it. But yeah, there was that one. I think I had a slow gear. You remember those? Oh, man. That was Legendary. like, because I had a friend that was like, he played synth and he had like Fender Rhodes and like all these cool things. And we used to listen to like the Appleseed cast and explosions in the sky and all that kind of stuff. And like, I remember him being like, dude, you got to find a slow gear. Like these are really rare and they're really cool. So I, I, I think I had one of those or like, maybe they made something else that was that, but it was called something else. I don't, I don't remember, but I remember that was one. And then just the tuner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> TU2 or TU1, whatever it was back then. Lots of people say the tuner. The slow gear is, 
is a rare one. It's hard to find. It's harder to find and more expensive now than than ever. Yeah. Uh, but but it's a really cool pedal. Yeah. It's a that's a fun one. Okay, this is the final question, and this is the one that gets a little bit dicey, a little bit controversial. So hopefully, you know, we can get through this. Okay. But what is your favorite kind of pizza? <laughs> Me and my friend have this joke. We call it pine pep peen. It's a uh, pineapple pepperoni and jalapeno it's like we always get it it's my favorite uh thin crust thick crust you got a favorite pizzeria or a style i would say thin um it's crazy because like you know we'd go out and and you know get kind of drunk and you'd order it would be like you know that's great in the moment but like we have really good places here in bethesda it's like we have we have an indian spot that was like voted best on the east coast and like we have all kinds of stuff here and and there's a place pizza de marco that's like authentic italian pizza and like man they have all kinds of pizzas and they're all really great and but like for me it's just that classic pine pep peen you can't beat it <laughs> nice. And I know nice. that is controversial. A lot of people get it is. offended about the pineapple, but I don't know why, man. It's just so good. I, I can't do I can't do the pineapple. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I it's but I feel like my my thing makes more sense than some people. There's a lot of people who just straight up don't like pineapple on pizza and I agree with that. But right. My thing is I just don't really like pineapple. Ah. Like on anything. Yeah, like that's so. I'm just like, of course, I don't like it on pizza. I don't like it anywhere else. So <laughs> I'd have it, to like somewhat agree with you. Like, I I don't go out and like eat pineapple on the reg. Like, I don't know. I I'm not really crazy about it. But there's something about the way it works with the jalapeno and the pepperoni and the cheese. Like, it's just this like sweet, spicy, salty kind of vibe that just I don't know. It just rips, man. <laughs> but I hear you. Well, I'll let you off the hook for this one just because I like <laughs> you. So it's fine. Cool. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, sure. Maybe we can uh, slide over to Patreon and get really weird with it. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, everybody. For Taylor, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode, people. You know, I appreciated you hanging out. And if you could do one thing for me, if you could share this with a friend. I know I ask for that every week. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to share this with somebody. That is what keeps this going. If you could please, 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 please share this with somebody that you think would enjoy it as much as you do, that would be immensely helpful. The only reason I keep coming back is because you guys keep listening, and it really means the world that this is able to be a thing that people enjoy. And that's because you hit download. So thank you very much. If you want more of this conversation, Taylor and I, we talked for another uh, half hour or so, and you can get that over on Patreon. If you go to tonemob.com slash Patreon, not only will you support the show directly, but you will also get a ton of additional bonus content delivered to your ears every week. That is also available if you are an Apple person through the Apple Podcast app under the premium subscription. It costs the same. You get the same content. It just is a little more convenient for some people. So thank you for everyone that's done that. Thank you for all the support over all these years. You are amazing. Thank you so much for this. 
Thank you for letting me do what I do. I really genuinely mean it. I'll talk to you on the internet very soon. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.